When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to DNI Spy. I'm Dr. Julie Humphreys. And I'm Natasha Whitehurst. And as you know by now, here at DNI Spy, we like to uncover what's really going on in the world of equality, diversity, and inclusion. And in today's episode, we're exploring some personal experience around Windrush and lived experience of neurodiversity. And we're super excited because we're joined by Willard Wigan, MBE, famous for making micro sculptures. Willard is a judge on the Great Big Tiny Design Challenge on Channel 4, delivers TED Talks and was presented with an MBE for services to art. He's currently collaborating with Guide Dogs for the Blind and has created Daniel, the tiniest guide dog puppy in the world. Huge welcome, Willard. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm just correct you a little bit. It's Doctor. I'm Doctor. Oh, good. So now you have to, we have to constantly call you Doctor Willard, if that's all right. Yeah, well, you know, that's how. No, that's how we go in this podcast. My title, so I'm proud of that. Good. And I'm sorry for getting that wrong, but I'm glad that you have corrected me because um, our own Dr. Julie here is terrible at referring to herself as a doctor. So I'm really glad that you've. I know. You've brought sometimes, that up. sometimes you don't like saying it by tense, but it's like I'm a doctor, but you know, we're not. We are. We'd been we'd been honoured with that title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. It feels for me, it feels a little bit uncomfortable. So it's it's sort of a sort of a running joke that that I'm forced to say, Doctor Julie Humphreys. <laughs> but you're right. It's you know it's something that that we've got. So we should I be mean, proud of. I don't of. mind saying it if I'm doing an interview or mm. podcast. I don't mind that. But if I'm anywhere, I won't say, "Oh, I'm Doctor Willard." I'm not interested in saying that. Yeah. I'm proud, but I, I don't be saying that. Okay, that's interesting. Does that make sense? I don't know whether you're playing way, Jules. Yeah, then. totally, totally. I yeah. love you calling me Jules already. I feel like we're, we're going to get a great episode today. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when I start talking about Wensbury to you, I feel like I'm going to go back into, because uh, that's where I, I used to go to uh, college. But anyway, well, first of all, let's talk about you. So it was really fascinating researching you. Um, we found out about how you appeared on the TV show this morning. Um, when you were really brought to the attention of the public all those years ago, um, your artwork has been described as gift du jour uh, amongst the super wealthy um, and people like Elton John, David Lloyd, Kate Moss and Cameron Diaz all have your micro sculptures. Um, and to put it into perspective um, about your your sculptures, I mean they are. I mean some examples are you've you've put the moon landing in the eye of a needle, and yeah, right. um, you have uh, put Ronaldo and a Sunseeker yacht. Um, okay. All of these amazing artworks is is minuscule, and and this uh, I've got some sort of um measurements i don't even understand the measurements it's um it's you have a human fetus and but it's 0.078 by 0.053 microns i don't even know what a micron is <laughs> i didn't know what a micron was until it was measured up to the university i mean i've heard the word micron but i did 
you know, I knew it was going to be a world record, but I did it. I knew it was. Mm. And you got two world records. Two, two, yeah. I, I wasn't satisfied with the first one, so I thought <laughs> I'll do a second one. And then I thought, yeah, I'm going to do a third one soon. I think I'm going to cope for that. Oh, Ooh. well, what are you going to do? I don't know yet. I, I'm just thinking about it. Um, because you see, see with me, I've got this um, extremity of not being satisfied with what I do because mm. uh, I think it's not good enough. Even though it is to me, you know, and that's how I get better. You see, it's, it's almost like telling yourself it's not good enough. And when you say that to yourself, I think you, you just get back motivation to get even better, you know. So take us back then. Why? Why? Where does that come from? Take us back to all those years ago where it all began when you were, you know, very young. Well, you see, with me, I'm always, little things have always fascinated me. I saw a little beacon walk across the floor, and little fly or little or bees or anything tiny flying. I was just fascinated that ever since I was a child, as far, as far back as I can remember. But what, what brought this to me? is when my dog destroyed an ant's nest and, you know, digging to get the ball from over the next door neighbor's fence. When was this? Uh, this is 1962, 63, 62, mm-hmm. right there. How old were you then? I was fine. Okay. Oh. And what did you see? What happened? Well, when my dog dug up all the ants, I thought the ants are all over this because I thought my dog had destroyed the ant's nest. Oh. <laughs> And I just, in my head, I kept thinking the ants have got nowhere to live and the queen ants got no palace and the little baby ants have got no school to go to. It was just, you see, I'm in that little fantasy world, you see. So I thought, well, I need to help the ants. So I got my dad's razor blade and I broke a little piece of the razor blade up with a twig and held the shot out of razor blade in my hands. And I sliced up little bits of wood and constructed and building little, little houses for ants and furniture and you know, like Simsaws and Sweetings. And then I made a palace for the Queen Ant out of a dead leaf. Wow. Because when leaves died, they twirl. So I took a bunch of the shape, put out little large wing doors and stuff. So there's four of these little leaves and I pushed them together and built splinter. And I was slicing bits of wood and then constructing, pushing them together. They're on friction and then using bits of my, pulling out bits of my skill uniform and tying them. Mm. Them together. I didn't think it was an ability, a skill. I just didn't, I didn't think it was anything special until I was told. And then when I was told, it, it you know, became possessed because I kept thinking, you know, you've just told me I was good at something. Because at school, uh-huh. I mean, autism back in the 60s wasn't easy because it wasn't diagnosed. So the school teachers used to have a field day with you. So one of them used to call me the consequence of failure. You know, and I was exhibited around the school as, as what not to become, you know, that was traumatizing to me. So I didn't feel accepted. They didn't accept me. So I thought, well, you don't accept me. So I, I'm not going to speak because I didn't think my voice would be accepted. So I didn't want to speak anymore because I was told that. Because what, what they done, they sort of uh, crucified me, my school beginnings. So as I traveled, just. You see, if somebody tells you something enough times, you, you'll believe it, you mm. see. So because they told me that, I thought, I'm not really at school anymore. My, my, my body's there, my mind is, and my left leg's in school, my right leg's out. So mm. I was never really there. That was the teachers, was it, Willard? Yeah, the teachers, you know, they were like, they were just 
it was you see they were allowed to humiliate kids back then you know there was mm. one poor kid who used to smell like biscuits oh and then they used to call him biscuit smelly kid and all the kids used to the teachers did yeah you smell of biscuits you know oh. what i mean they used to, the kids sang a song about him now you're in a bit of biscuit tin biscuit tin with kid you know and he was used to cry a lot you know but so you've got but, a really vivid memory of that after yeah, all these remember, years. I can remember lots of things because, see, because of my condition, I can just remember every single detail. I can remember the smell of things. I can, I can remember, um, you know, I can remember being in a, in a pram and looking up and seeing an aeroplane. That's got to be unusual. Remember, I can remember being set with a bottle. Uh, really? You know, yeah, I can go back really far in my memory. And that's due to, so you, you touched on their um, autism. Um, so for those that maybe are a little unaware, how do you, how do you describe autism? Autism is, is a, a diamond in a dustbin. I love that. That's my description of it. Diamond in a dustbin. Tell me yeah. more about that. Why, why is it a diamond in a dustbin? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because sometimes the best comes from where you least expect. You know me, because you mm-hmm. manage as a habit of underestimating. Yeah. And it's like they use the word unable, disabled. If you're a woman, you're less capable, or if you're someone of colour, you're less this or less that, or unable, all type of unableness. So, that humanity has a habit of underestimating. So, what they normally do, they normally put people in a category or throw them into, into the bin. Yeah. But when you take the lid off the bin, there's diamonds in there, you see, that they didn't mm. realize because until someone discovers it, and that's autism, you see. Yeah. And they realize that how beneficial autism is with their skills that they have. Because autistic people have a it's it's an alternative way of of uh, expressing themselves. So it's almost like it's a defense system. You you, you have to find something, right? and you you when you find the skill, it's an extreme skill or it's an extreme ability. Yeah, because it's almost like that's all you can do. So even though I know it's not, but I thought that what I did, I can't do anything else. So it became an extreme. See, when when I ran away from school, it was it was a great feeling because I, I wasn't in school anymore. I was I found solitude, tranquility. It's a nice sunny day. I remember sitting by the pond and looking into the water and seeing old little pond creatures swimming on the top of the water and seeing that a red crested newt swimming just at the edge of the park when it was slightly more shallow and I saw this newt swimming in and, and I sort of I started to educate myself in my own way because whenever they said to me at school it didn't matter anymore because they didn't care about me so why should I care about what they're telling me or what they're trying to educate me with mm. and, and so, how old were you when you when you realised that when you say when you ran away from school was that did you run away once and then not go back or did you just you know I mean, keep... I, I've run away a few times I'd go back but I was never really there okay. I wasn't accepted so I was never there I, I, the only thing I liked about school was that apple crumble <laughs> 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 and at the school dinners I suppose 
generally early and concrete concrete pudding with custard or oh yeah I never they never see me I never showed them me because um I was a jigsaw puzzle and I had to put myself the missing bits back in that was missing which is myself mm. so I lost me so at school it was it wasn't like I never showed what I could really do so the teachers yeah. didn't see me. They they never saw me. They thought they saw something, but they didn't. Because I, I wasn't interested in art or anything because they told me that I was no good. So because they said that, I became that. But what turned that around to me is when I made a whole village for ants. And like the girl next door, Sini. And she was like a young girl and she went, oh, that's the bestest. When <laughs> I heard that word, hmm. it was like being in a shower and all the droplets of water washed away everything and everything that was said about me. So I'd, I'd wash myself in the praise of what was said about me. So I'd, and then when her mother seen it, I went, oh, that's fantastic. How, wow, we've never seen anything like that. That's incredible. And I was sort of sharing with, with that praise. And when my mom seen it, my mom told me, she said, if you make them smaller, you never get bigger. So I heard that word and that just became possessed in making things that people couldn't see. So every time I made something small, my mum would say, it's not small enough. So, you know, I didn't get bitter. I just got better. Um, why, why didn't that make you bitter then? Because I thought, well, okay, then I'm going to get better then. So you Does used that make sense? You used it thought, to kind of push yourself forward mm -hmm. and... Yeah, I thought, okay, then you say that, then watch this then. And then she'd say, it ain't small enough. And I'd go, and I'd make a little, carve a little bird on the point of a toothpick. And she'd say, it ain't small enough. <laughs> but my mother would always say that. As I got older, I realised why, but at the time I didn't know why. Because she, she said to me, you can't do nothing else. Do that, that's what you can do. So I was like possessed. Every every evening I'd go upstairs in my bedroom and I'd just keep keep on keeping on. I just you know, you put it this way, it, I was one of these kids, if I were here this, if I was doing this, taking that off there, the lid up that button. Then you said to me, Oh, that's really good, that is with I'd I'd be like No. Oh. You just right. keep doing it. You just keep on. You just whatever someone said that you were you were doing well. You would then repeat it. Yeah, within reason. You know, for the pre you, for you that said that to me, I'd be, I'd keep doing it. You know, one time I drew a circle on the wall and I some chalk and I got these little pebbles, and I kept throwing it at the circle. And I was itching the circle because somebody said, "Oh, that's good." And you do that, and I'm about that all day. I kept doing it all day. Yeah. I didn't know why. I just kept doing it. And then my mum grabbed my wrist and said, why are you doing that for? <laughs> that's says, because um, it was because um, this girl said, I won't mention her name, because there's a girl at the road said I was good at it. I was good. So it's like, you know what I mean? I mm -hmm. needed something to latch on to, something to give me that encouragement. I needed some kind of praise, someone to say, mm -hmm. oh, you know. 
it's like a tap on the back, a tap on the head type of thing. It's sort of just that human encouragement would, would help me. Didn't... Because I knew, I knew, um, I knew that my, my academia wasn't going to get me anywhere. It wasn't going to do anything. So I just learned that, well, if I could be the best person I can be, I could have as much manners as possible. I love animals. Just love animals. I love animals a lot. I love animals more than some people. Mm. <laughs> you know, and I'll say that I love my dog. Because I have a conversation with my dog. <laughs> I'm a definitely a dog person. I, I completely yeah. agree with that. I prefer my dogs to a lot of people. <laughs> I completely agree with that. Yeah, my dog, my dog tried to speak to me. They do, don't they? They do. Right. What, <laughs> what kind of dogs do you have? I have the next son, American Bull Terrier. Oh, nice. It's nice. a beautiful dog. His oh. name's Stanley. What was that, sorry? His name is Stanley. Stanley. Good solid name. <laughs> yeah, but he's a really nice dog. So come back to what I was saying, you know. Yeah. Once, once I get, I, I had to, I had to learn, I had to read life, mm. I had to educate myself. You know if that makes sense, Jules. I yeah. Just I mean, going back to to then talking about that autism, and do you think that helps with your sculpting because you don't do normal sculptures? Well, the reason why I do tiny, because the why. It's a message, really, because it's about underestimation, isn't it? We underestimate little things, don't we? Mm-hmm. You know, we think because something's small, it has no substance, it has no value, it has no... Because you can't see it doesn't exist. Or, but what I've switched that around, you see. When people see my work, it's the biggest thing they've ever seen. I've had people cry at my exhibitions. I had a, a gentleman who's a quite famous boxer, heavyweight boxer. He used to do a spa with Mike Tyson, mm. and his name is Joe Egan. And he came to my exhibition and he said, I've never been knocked out before until I've seen your work. Oh. <laughs> he said, Mike Tyson hit me quite a few times, but I never got knocked out, but your work has knocked me out. <laughs> you know, and, and you get so many compliments. I've had people say, I'm not interested in art until I've in your work. And this lady said something to me. She must have been at nearly 80. She says, your work isn't art, it's better than art. And when I heard that, I thought, how nice is now? Mm. Because it made me realise just how big my work really is, even though it's small. You know, we all know the saying, little things mean a lot. And my mum used to say to me, you can say everything and be nothing and say a few words and be everything. Mm. You know, and it's like throwing a grain of sand into the sea, and you wouldn't expect a grain of sand to create a tidal wave. Yeah. But my work has actually created a tidal wave of success for something that can't be seen. So much so, I got invited to Buckingham Palace to meet the Queen because she wanted one of my sculptures. So I made a tiny little crown on the head of a pig. Yeah, I saw a photo of that. That was that was amazing. Um, I mean, you talk a lot about your mom. Um, so take take us sort of into your because you're very poetic and you cre- you're creating some brilliant visual visualizations for us. So create your mom, your parents for us. What kind of um, sort of upbringing did you have? 
Well, my dad, I couldn't get up with my dad's dad, I mentioned him. He, he, he wasn't any good, he was no good. If I wanted anything, he wouldn't. Didn't give us any pocket money or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, or toys, you know, I had to make my own toys anywhere, I didn't make little boats to make them oh. sail on the water. <laughs> <laughs> so you were one of seven, is that right? So Yeah, yeah. but you know, my, my, my dad never used to give my mum much money. Okay. Housekeeping money. So it was quite difficult for us growing up. But my mum would do her best, she'd feed us. We never went hungry or anything like that, you know. Yeah. We had the shoes with little holes in the bottom. We used to put cardboard <laughs> in the shoes, you know, stop the rainwater and stuff like that, you know. Um, but my mum was always encouraging and, and supportive towards us, you know. She'd always encourage us to, uh, to do the best we can. Um, my mother could see that I was a little problem with me. She knew something was wrong, which she couldn't quite understand because autism wasn't diagnosed. But my brother would always, you know, make sure that we sound well. But so much so that I used to just say to myself, well, I'm alive, that's all. I used to tell myself, I'm alive. And I got a dog, I had a dog at home. I would have a TV. So um, I never thought about what I was going to do when I left school. I just thought I'm alive. Um, because when I went back to school, the teachers were quite humiliating towards me. So I, I just, it, I had this good thing really, because I could switch off, you see. Because I remember one time I, I deliberately put down the pen and threw my exercise book to one side. And I was told to stand at the back of the class, which was a blessing to see, because I was still at the back of the class and I could see the pond. We had a school pond in the, in the courtyard and I was looking out and I could see insects flying around and those little, 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 little type of flight was, but it's a very tiny little flight walk up the window. So I was entertained by that. So when they thought I was there to be punished, I was there to be entertained because it was quite nice. I was looking at butterflies flying around and, Mm. And I thought, that's quite nice, this is. <laughs> so it sounds it, like quite a, a solitary existence, though, at school. I mean, were you, in, with you, were you close with your siblings? Did you have many friends? Were you, you know, were you the only black family, you know, on your estate? What was it, what was it like growing yeah, up? Yeah, we were the only black family on the estate. Yeah, we had some problems. People had a problem with that pigmentation in Edinburgh. I wasn't thinking about that. They, they told me about it. If what that makes sense. Yeah. What, what, you know, what? it's like if you uh, if you went out by yourself, you'd have gangs of rats calling your names, speaking at you, throwing bricks at you, and things like that. You know. Um, I don't even know why they was doing it, and then I, my mum would tell me, I'd look on television and you'd see. Martin Luther King trying to fight for their justice and things like that. There was Alf Garnick making sun of devil So then I, like, I must admit that kind of made me feel a little bit upset because I get thinking, fucking, on. this is something I've never really revealed, but I will tell you what I used to do. I went and got some, because I remember this girl at school telling me that, why is that? Why is your hand like that there? So so I thought, well, if I will get the rest out, then it'll be like that, you see. So I went and got some wire wool, and I started to wipe my face here, thinking it would come mm. off. 
Oh. And as I was doing that, I could taste blood and metal in my bath mm. because it was the taste of the, the wire wool and the, uh, the some, because I got the brillo out of that, pulled some of the, the wire wool out of it and I kept rubbing it, thinking it would come off. So I, I'd be accepted type of thing, you know what I mean? Mm. But the blood, I can taste it in my mouth because it dripped down here and I had a scar on my head there. Then um, my mum saw it and said, what's wrong with your head? And I said, I was wiping this off, that off. Yeah. So she gave me a good hiding. <laughs> so there wasn't, so she gave you a good hiding then. So did they talk to your parents, talk to you about what was going on in the world and in terms of, you know, Windrush and, and you know, uh, more Caribbean families coming over to the UK or to well, Britain? You see, what it was, right, it was like, I never really wanted to talk about it. I just wanted to just be a human being, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I never wanted to talk about the, the pigmentation or anything, but, but then they sort of they run it down your throat all the time. They hey. say things to you that you pick up books. You know, I don't know if you remember this or you, you just look it up and you'll see. They used to have a book in school called Little Black Samba. Little Black Samba. Have a look and see. Okay. And then there was a lady called Edith Weidman. Yeah. And she used to write books about the gollywogs and stuff, what they used to do to Nuddy, and they were bad. So I remember one kid said, I stole Nuddy's picnic basket. I've, I've never met Nuddy in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and big ears, you know, they're, they're, think the gollywogs beat up big ears or something. You know, that it was it was right on TV. You know, there's lots of stuff that insulting things. Um, so... I tried, I, I just ignored some of it. I just ignored it. And then afterward, when my mom down did good idea about trying to get this color up, I just kind of, I just had to get on with, with my life really. You know, I just kept myself to myself. And then I met some good friends, actually. Some good friends. Um, when they saw the things I could do, because I remember I felt a little, and a bit, Beatrix Potter. Rabbit, Peter Rabbit, and a toothpick. And I showed one of the kids that ran around telling all the other kids, oh, well, look at my dinner, all that, become a stick, I'm not thinking, and they'll all come around to have a look, all the kids. It was like Whistle Down the Wind, you know, all the kids came. Yeah. Did you see Whistle Down the Wind? Yeah. Yeah, and all the kids were coming, can I have a look, can I have a look? You know, and I'd shine and I was going, oh, wow, that's brilliant, that is, that's brilliant. You know, and it was like, so that kind of, you know, See, it wasn't the kids, it was the parents, you see. Mm. It was the elders that would tell them about colour, but the kids didn't see it, you see. So yeah. I was, uh, you know, it wasn't easy, but, you know, we just dealt with it. And then I just persevered with what I did because I knew that I had to be a lot better at what I do in order to be accepted. I had to be the best and whatever I did after that to be really good or an extreme good. So do you think that do you think that kind of came from from mum and dad or was that from what you'd witnessed? Because obviously did so 
So we all uh, know Julie just touched on there about kind of like Windrush and this kind of, you're obviously, you know, you're one of very few families, like you mentioned there, just, you know, family of colour in, in your area. Was that was that down to all of those kind of outside pressures, like you say, and is that what's then created the diamond or is, I don't know, tell no, me more. My, it's being accepted, you see. You, you have to be accepted. Mm. So if you do something really great, then they accept you. Okay. And that was that something your mum your mum kind of intimated. Yeah. You know, like I said, you, you don't get beaten; you get better. Mm. You know, you, you have to. It's like a woman. You're, you're a woman. You understand. You get discriminated against. You've had it. Yeah. You know, you're in the category of the less. Yeah. You know, so you, you have to do something about it. It could have gone another way, though, couldn't it? And, you know, lots of people who face those those situations and, and difficulties or maybe challenges, they often are could get angry or upset. And it feels to me, and I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of Dr. Julie here, um, but it feels to me as though you have this real optimism and real positivity and you really seek the kind of, you really seek in that positive and good and and for any person that's that's really hard thing to do but it seems to just kind of seep out of your pores <laughs> yeah because you see i don't kind of as a kid i didn't see color and i don't care about color yeah i, I wasn't thinking about it yeah I, I, it wasn't even in my head when they showed it me and told me they'd put it on me they yeah. put it on me i didn't put it on them yeah so then they started to make me think about it because mm. I kept telling me about it, you see. But then afterwards, I started to take no notice and I yeah. just carried on being a normal kid. Yeah. You know, and then I, I, felt, I felt a lot better about that, that, you know. But I keep myself to myself anyway. And so I would isolate myself a bit and just go and play with, my, you know, with the insects and yeah. make things and just... And then all the kids saw what I could do and they were wanting to hang out with me because I could do things that they mm. couldn't do. I was making airplanes that could fly much better than the ones that they bought, you know. Yeah. And kids give me like sixpence to make them an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> or threepence to have a look at one of my sculptures, you know. That's <laughs> full of threepences, threepenny bits. I look like powder coins back in the 60s. I used to give it them back. I used to have it back, you know. Did you? Oh, we biscuit money you could have, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it back, you know. So, you know, I was, and then, then, you know, I was accepted. You know, the kids accepted me. One time, there's one chap who I can speak of. His name is John Arrow. He's a good friend of mine at the time. I remember his mum said, "Oh." We don't want any colours in the house. With something upstairs. And then one time, um, he told me to come around his house to have some toys, you see. He wanted to give me a little robot. We lined up the walls like that. And I, I went around the house and his mum was next door talking. I ran up the stairs. And then he, he got the oldies. Toy did I need to date them home. You couldn't play with them. Now, what happened? I think one of the girls next door, somebody next door said I was in that house and she ran up the stairs and said, Charlie, would you go up there? Have you got up there? And I'm like, she's our nobody. 
Tom so says the cupboard boy's in the house. I'm like, oh no, and I ran into the one room him and jumped in their bed and he didn't leave the blanket. <laughs> and what happened? I just kept as still as possible. Then I felt the footsteps come towards the bed and I pulled the blanket off and I went, hello, this is Aris. <laughs> and you know what to that, right? She told me to get out of the house. But she was laughing the same time and then um, when I a few weeks later I was I was saying in my boat there used to be a stream by it's called Oak Meadow and there's like a stream there I was carving these little boats and, and making little sails on them and all the kids used to come and play you know and then she came past and she grabbed my wrist like that and she's pulling me because I couldn't play with that John pulling me like that I didn't know what she was doing, I thought. And she took me letters. And then she says, I had John Lund stop talking about you. And she gave me some lunch and meat sandwiches and Golden Wonder crisps and and <laughs> squash. And <laughs> Living the dream. Sweets. You know, and it was like, got on really well after that, you know. It was like, somehow I think, because her son kept on telling her all about me all the time, laughing. It's sort of gutting through her anger. So it's like, but that's come back to what I was saying. I, I knew I had to be good at something. I had to be good at something. Mm. And because when you can't read or write very well and, and you have problems, when you do become good at something, you become extremely good or explainably good, unexplainably good, you, you know, because that's. That's what's happened with myself now. I've, I've done that. Um, you know, I I always see myself as someone who inspires people with what I do. You know, regardless to race, color, or creed, I'm, I see myself as a human being, and that's it. I'm that better than anybody. I've been given a gift, and I share that gift. You know, my word doesn't belong to me, it belongs to people that see it. I don't really see my work as as my work, if that makes sense. Definitely. When I make it, you look at it. Yeah. I don't see it down more, you see it. And then that gives me so much pleasure because it's so much oh. pain doing it, having to hold your breath, work between your heartbeat. And then since I've got older, I've got better. And it's I've got it's got harder since I've got better. And like here now is the microscope. I'm gonna be working from now till tomorrow morning. This this can go on for weeks. Wow. What are you so creating I'm, at the moment then? I'm making a blue whale inside that bottle. Are you? It's to do with the environment because the plastics are killing the animals in the sea, so I'm just I'm making a little message in a bottle. Wow. And where does your inspiration come from for things like that? Is it just kind of what you see in externally reading about? I don't read, you see. I, I, I'm not reading that good. I'll watch yeah. Blue Planet. I'll watch Chris Peckham. I'll watch animal programs. Sure. Um, history, I don't really... You see, because the way I was treated at school, I didn't want to know about what they were telling me about because they didn't treat me good. So why do I want to know about what they was trying to talk about that makes sense it does but then now you've you've 
got to such a an amazing position in your life, do you ever then maybe think, I'm not going to let them um, sort of stop me knowing them from about history or, you know, from that perspective? You do it the nail of the head there, Joel. You know, just because it happened then doesn't mean to say it's happening now. There's a difference between back then and, and now. I mean, if education is important, I think it's education the key to success. You know, if you like it, you've got no education. Sometimes it's hard, but if you have a skill, you know, that can elevate you. Other than a quantification, because you mm. can have a natural ability. So, you know, I wouldn't put that on kids today to say, take now notice of the teachers. I would say, you know, educate yourselves and be the best you can be. Um, but back then, I had to behave the way I did because, you know, it's like trying to have a relationship with someone who doesn't love you. How can you how can you have a relationship with someone who who doesn't love you? Well, you can't do that. Can you find someone giving you something to eat that's horrible and you taste it and you spit it out mm. and they keep doing it? So you're not going to eat it because it don't taste good. So. Because of what they said to me, I'm thinking, well, I'm not bothered about school anymore. I left school without being able to read all right. I can't even, couldn't even tell the time till I was 18. But interestingly, though, Dr. Willard, um, you paint pictures with words so amazingly. But So you do use words really well. well. So what I hear, what I hear. So you pick up what you hear and yeah, it kind of just absorbs in. Or I'll just say something that I think I don't have to be educated to say it. I'll just say it. See, it's so, for me, I'm fascinated because I constantly think about, um, you know, talking and, and coming across and like the way you come across and whatever they say, like presentational presenting skills. And you say, oh, you know, I don't read and I don't. But you honestly, you are so poetic with words. Mm, completely. Yeah. It, is this light going down in here? Because it's I've got my I've got the laptop at the window. At the window, can you see me clear, or am yeah. I disappearing? No, you're clear. Good. Okay, you got me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was disappearing into the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we I'll we still have you. <laughs> We have you, we have you. For anyone listening, Willow's currently just grinning at us across the screen. It's wonderful. You won't be seeing me anyway, just me talking. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But oh, that's all right. That's I'm happy with that. <laughs> um, you know, you see with me, right? I pick up a leaf and look at a leaf and find pleasure looking at a leaf, the veins in a leaf. Mm. I find pleasure in walking. Pleasure in being able to see. So the natural things in life, I accept you, um, and and I, I use I, that was to me that was a blessing. When you wake up in the morning, it's, it's to me that's a blessing. It's a gift. Uh, um, so I appreciate the little things in life. Mm. I don't need a lot to make me happy. You know, if I mean, this girl said to me, what she said, oh years ago but, oh, let's go to a, a nice restaurant so I took her to McDonald's 
thought you were going to say Bernie in then <laughs> in Warsaw. I remember that. <laughs> and then she went, I thought you'd take me to the Mars restaurant. Oh, that's it. It's about where you go, it's who you're with. If you're with me here, you know, that's just as good as going to a large restaurant. Mm. And we can we can make that little moment special because you're with me. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I've got a, a, um, a quote yeah. about you, actually, I'd like to repeat to you if that's okay. So you've been described in the Evening Standard as flash yet humble, confident yet vulnerable, comfortably rich yet still oddly insecure. Do you agree with that? Yeah, well... Um, Yes, I'm comfortable, but I, I didn't do this for money. I didn't do it for money. I just did it. I didn't ask myself to be recognised, just that people seeing it and started talking about it. And I became this way because of a journalist seeing what I did. And they came along when I was doing the carbon of Shakespeare in the middle of Birmingham City Centre, you know. This was 19, uh, 18, 19. Yeah, nineteen ninety, but you know, Great, yeah. but it was. I didn't. I didn't see. I don't see money as being my, my God. It's not my God. I, I, yes, I'm comfortable, but I don't care about that. You see, it's a message I care about. It's what I stand for. It's what I deliver to people. So it's you're the part of the quote then. So it's around that. Humbleness and and vulnerability. Yeah, do you, you see know, yourself I'm there? Confident at what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm a very confident person. I believe in myself. Um, I respect myself. I like myself, mm. and I like what I do with myself for others to see. Um, I. You know, I'm not someone who brags about what I do. I'm proud of what I do. I'm confident. You know, I tell myself I will. I am the best at what I do. Because if you don't, then you won't become the best. You know, if a boxer goes into the ring, he'll say I'm the best. Tyson Fury will say I'm the best in the world. <laughs> Always. And yes. Yeah. You know, you've got to say something, you that's know. That's what they always say, isn't it? To, to, to motivate yourself. Yeah. Psych the person that. out. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. You, yeah. You, you, you have to do that. Because if you don't, then you won't become the best. So you're, so, so you're very much a perfectionist as well. Um, so do you feel, this is a bit of a, a morbid question, sorry. Do you think feel like you're going to go to your grave unfulfilled because nothing you do for yourself is ever going to be enough. You're always going to be well, striving. Well, well, the thing is, it's good for me to say it's not good enough, but I know it is when mm. other people see it. So, so that as pleasure. Long as, I, as long as other people see it and I do, then I don't mind. <laughs> do I mean? I've left that legacy for them to see. I'm not bothered about it. You see, I'll say it's not good enough to me. But when I hear everybody else going, oh, oh my God, and all these words come out, all different types of words that you wouldn't expect to come out of people's mouths. Yeah. You swear the words. <laughs> in a compliment way. But 
that's how that makes me understand what I've done. But it doesn't change the way I feel about what I've done because I think it's not good enough. Because my mum told me that what I do, and it's small enough. So she left that with me, you see, because she put it on me. I'm that's what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I, if I make the smallest sculpture in the world, it ain't small enough. So I'll do another record, it ain't small enough. I'll do another one and beat that one. You know, if I was a surgeon, you know, I know because of my dexterity, I'd be very good. I know I could, but I'm not. So I'm a surgeon in my own work. Mm. No, I heal with my work. It sort of heals people's minds with disbelief. It's interesting then that you say, you know, maybe your your work isn't perfect. There's always room for improvement. And then I was just really drawn to you saying, I like myself. Because so very few people, I think if we were to line up 20 random people in here, I think there would there would be... I don't think anyone would would say that exact same thing. So I think it's really interesting that those two two sentences have come from you because whilst you see yourself as maybe not being perfect with your maybe in your work or in whatever, um, then to say I like myself, I think that's just yeah, it, that's a really two very contrasting statements. Yeah, because if you don't, you, you see, you've got to like yourself because God made you the way you are. You have to like yourself. You can't say I'm going to change myself. I'll put a different head on my body or Yeah. Lots you know of people mean? lots of people try though, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know. Some people are fortunate to have a certain look. You know, but it, it, it's it's your contents of your character. Mm. Martin McKean said that. Judge a man or a woman by the contents of the character. You know mm. what I mean? It's it's you. You are inside, and what you, what you say, yeah, and what you do for others. You know, um, to me, the reason why I like dogs is because a dog will just love you, regardless. A dog will just love you. You know, my mum said to me, "Always love animals." Mm. So I love my dog. Because I can have a conversation with my dog and I feel happy around my dog. Oh, Stanley. Is that your link to, into um, the sort of the campaign you're working with, with Daniel, the, the tiniest guide dog puppy then? That's right. Yeah. Um, the reason why I made that dogs is because it's about vision. It's about seeing. Yeah. The eye of a needle is what we put a strength through. Some people have a dick in trying to put a straight shoot the needle. Some people can't see the eye of the needle. Yeah. But the eye of the needle is what we could use to make our clothes. The clothes you have on, it's a needle. Some sort of needle that sums you. Okay? So the eye of the needle is important. So I wanted to sew a message to people to raise money for those who who are passively unseen because they have that disability not being able to see 
in which site must mean help. So why not make something that you can't see become something that you can't see, but see it in a way where it raises awareness and help mm. for those who can't see. So why not make something that you couldn't see? Well, there's a saying, just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not there. Absolutely. So the eye of a needle is an eye, and an eye is what we all use to see things through. Yeah. So that's why I chose the eye of a needle and put Daniel, the guide dog, within the eye of that needle, and round his neck he has a little medallion with Braille written on it. Wow. A D, just wow. a D. Now, any scientist in this, on this planet will never be able to explain how I did that. They won't be able to find any explanation because I wanted it to be, um, I wanted, I want to show people that what you can't see is a lot bigger than what you can see sometimes. And and how um, can people see this then? Is there a way? How is it raising money and awareness then? Yes, I'm going to be doing an exhibition at Wollerton Hall. And where's that? In Nottingham. Okay. It's going to be the best exhibition I've ever put on. It's where they made the Batman film. Oh, okay. Oh. Any Batman-themed sculptures coming up? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a collection there. Which I won't reveal. Oh, can you tell but, us a timeline when about? Well, it will I'm be? Really nice. I'm I'm working on one now. Excellent. Well, um, it's all about planets and the why, and you know, that's why I'm doing it. Mm. I want to raise awareness to the planet. Excellent. You know, if you saw a man on the floor and he was dead and there was a beak next to that man and the beak was dead, we automatically think, oh, the man, poor man, the man's died. What about the bee? Because if all the bees died, we'd all be dead anyway, wouldn't we? Because mm. it's bees that pollinate the earth, pollinate the plants. The... So why can't that bee be important? Yeah. And... Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I'm going to ask you one final question, if that's okay. Um, and we ask all of our guests this same question. And when we when we started this podcast, um, we wanted to really just talk to people about uh, and our listeners um, about diversity inclusion as an action. So we can all talk about it forever, but actually, what are we going to do about it? So we ask all of our guests, you know, what is your top tip or an inclusive action that you think is important that you'd like to share with our listeners? My tip it is perseverance. You see, um, perseverance is, is a very strong thing, you know, because it's like Tyson Fury says, when you get knocked down, it's not what you do. So that when you get knocked down, it's what you do when you get back up, mm. right? So I'll never allow anybody to tell you you can't. Never allow that. 
because if you do, it's like the devil telling me you can't. Wow. I mean, this has been an incredible conversation and what a brilliant top tip. Um, certainly taken a lot away from that, especially around perseverance. And I think, especially being January and mm-hmm. whilst this might not go out for a little while yet um what what a what a motivational uplifting final top tip massive thank you for this conversation it's been it's been so enjoyable she left this with me right she says take the smallest key in the world yeah that can't be seen then open the biggest door in the world Mm. and then when you open the door you'll see where you really belong and that's success gosh your, your mom sounds maybe that's where you got your um poeticness is that a word that's not no. a word <laughs> we made it one because <laughs> yeah. you know because you speak very so eloquently and so vividly and that sounds like you know your mom did as well well it's like you know we we only accept things you see that society tells us that we should yeah you know what I mean what about the things that we don't see or we don't hear about why do people automatically think that if you're from an area where there's lots of trouble people get into you know like if you go to um, what is here called Ladywood where there's lots of trouble there's lots of there's problems amongst a lot of young kids and they automatically think that there's nothing there but problems if you go into there and you seek out the talent, you'll see lots of diamonds because they're already there and just needs people to go in and see. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. And, you know, and that's why I've always said the best comes from where you least expect. When you least expect it to be. It's like if you go into those parts of Brazil where there's sort of lots of trouble, you're going to find the most beautiful people in the world or top models or people with the best bubble structure or whatever. Go into, go into those places then where, where you didn't expect to see, when you don't expect. That's where the beauty comes from, where you least expect sometimes. You know, it's like, you know, people are looking for love. You, you don't always find love in a club. You may find it... <laughs> walking down the road or digging the car or something it's like yeah it's so that's why i always see this less has been a lot more than you think you know that's why they say less is more Excellent. and i big league that absolutely well, reason we did reason i mean a bit of apple crumble on the plate yeah <laughs> always an apple crumble um, um Honestly, thank you so much for being here. Um, You have been very inspirational, so a huge thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed that. Um, Never met a micro sculpture before. Sculpture. And um, I found that really fascinating. What was most fascinating for you? Um, The way that he um, just created visions in my mind Mm -hmm. from his words. Yeah. Which I didn't expect 
Um, and it wasn't just the odd little anecdote or the odd little story. It was like one after the other after the other. It was obviously, he's mm. got such an active, vivid mind. Yeah. Um, that I just found it really fascinating to, 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 and I couldn't keep up with some of the visualizations to be honest because I was still thinking of the, the last one. Yeah, um, I don't think my mind works at all <laughs> as quick as as quick as Willard's. Um, but yeah, and how much he really talked about his mom. Yeah, that was a definite takeaway. He, she's clearly had a huge impact on his life, and it's yeah. I I mean, she's clearly like you said towards the end, you know his mom his mom left him with that piece of it's not small enough keep going kind of thing and mm. it's he kept using the word possessed which i thought was interesting like possessed by his art um and the, his workings which again um he's just he's he's clearly like he loves what he does doesn't he mm. yeah. um the optimism for me as well oh yeah exactly that that sort of um humility and optimism um that you know, he, he came from a, a really poor background, yeah. um, you know, and he didn't dwell on that at all. Because mm. um, actually we wanted to talk about it, didn't we? Yeah. Um, and it just didn't, it, he didn't want to go there. And he was really, he was just so optimistic that it's not, you know, let's look at where I came from. It's let's look at what I'm doing, mm. which was really refreshing, actually. Yeah, just thinking about the difference that he can make as well and... Yeah, I, I mean, it was incredibly vivid when he said about um, using wire wool and scrubbing at his skin mm. to mm. remove the pigmentation. My my heart broke for young Willard or the child that would have done that. And, you know, I just thought he was incredibly open and honest with sharing that. The, the parallels I was thinking when he was talking about some of the things um, in terms of growing up, Mm. And it was the adults that were were, were racist yeah. rather than the children. And that really made me think of our conversation with Paul Davis, yes. ex-Arsenal player. And he was talking about the me same uh, same uh, TV programmes, the Alf Garnets and things, mm. that he used to go into the um, changing room of Arsenal and all the players would be talking about, you know, the TV last night, which, um, you know, was, was racist. And, and in, in, I mean, they must be about the same generation, definitely the same generation, yeah. must be about the same age. Um, so, so those TV programmes had such a massive impact, didn't they? Just on yeah. two people we've spoken to of the same generation are still talking about it those programs like 30 40 years later maybe yeah. more than that yeah um, tv and the media have got a lot to answer for i think we can get from that yeah and it just goes to show as well you know like the power that they will still remain having and actually what young mind what we do to young minds as a as a world mm. um you know at what stage do children lose that beautiful innocence and kind of open mind and acceptance but it still feels like Willard has that yes um you know finding finding the kind of the beauty in a very small thing you know he said I found pleasure just looking at a leaf and being able to see the veins mm. and just very like mindful and unfortunately um we we closed off the podcast uh recording and willard then told us this uh, amazing story <laughs> about um a girl he used to know many years ago um so yeah we might have to revisit that he has actually yeah. 
personally invited us to his next exhibition. So we'll try. We'll take our our um, on the our, road. Yeah, take our podcast on the road. Take some recording equipment and yeah. see if he can give us a lowdown. Yeah, and the top tip as well. I think let, absolutely. Let's revisit that. So around perseverance, I think you know if we think about. Um, the world and the economic climate and the world we're in right now and I know that there's a lot of talk around diversity and inclusion and sometimes when the economic climate kind of drops people want to lose focus on diversity and inclusion actually perseverance is where it kind of comes in and that kind of getting back up yeah definitely and I think the best way to to show that will be if um dr willard creates a new sculpture with a dni sky spy logo (gasps) in the eye of a needle well let's think about that let's see you can find us on twitter our handles are in the show notes below and if you've liked what you've heard please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes automatically thanks for listening